Guru Nation, welcome to episode 519 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, I interview Bridget Chapital, who is just an amazing person. It's a perfect example of somebody who started out as a specialist in academia, became a generalist, did all kinds of things from coordinating to auditing to quality assurance to working with IRBs to now helping elementary, junior high, and high school kids get a head start on clinical research career, at least learning about clinical research opportunities as careers. So we actually interviewed her as well, more about her Hypothesis Haven Science Club, uh, which is her her company for helping kids uh, learn about clinical research on our Latinos in Clinical Research. So uh, check out that YouTube channel, Latinos in Clinical Research on YouTube. You can see the full interview of hers there. She was so inspiring, I decided to interview her separately for this show, this podcast, and talk to her specifically about her career and how she got started. In the show notes, check out the YouTube memberships link. $9.99 a month, YouTube, you get exclusive videos, you get early access to certain videos, you get live monthly Zoom calls with everyone else from the YouTube members page. Uh, don't worry if you can't become a member. I'm going to still keep doing these podcasts and all the videos. Uh, also in the show notes, check out the CRA and CRC academies. Links in the show notes. Finally, if you need help getting studies for your site, text me 949-415-6256. And with that being said, enjoy the show. Hello, Guru Nation. Welcome back to another episode. This is for the YouTube channel. This is for the podcast. Make sure you subscribe, like, comment, share, and do all the other things you can do, like thumbs up or, I don't know, hearts, anything that's good. Just do it. Uh, I've got today Bridget Chapatal on. She is somebody who I always talk about generalist, Bridget. Bridget's definitely a generalist, a perfect example of someone who started out as a specialist on accident in clinical research, which is like the majority of us, and opened her eyes and saw, okay, there's more to this than just my job that I got hired for. Look at this opportunity here. Look at this. There's all these unsolved problems. And it takes people like Bridget to become aware of these things and to pursue these things. So we're going to talk a little bit about Bridget's career. She's also known on Instagram as uh, Clinical Trials Lady. Clinical Trials Lady, yes, at okay. Clinical Trials Lady. At Clinical Trials Lady. Yeah. I heard actually very good things yeah. ab- about you from Danielle Co. with Black Women in Clinical Research. Um, yeah. And so every we're going to have links to the Instagram underneath. So Bridget, Thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. I'm really I'm happy to be here. And I'm glad you mentioned um, da- Danielle. So basically, I'm a brand ambassador with Black Women in Clinical Research. And um, it's really amazing because, um, like you, I've been in the research field for probably close to 20 years. Um, but really, like something about COVID, something about the last year, you know, everything that happened, it's really kind of taken our industry and turned it like kicked it up so many notches that all the work that we've all been kind of putting in is really kind of coming to fruition and so it's really amazing to be connecting with so many different people and you're one of them so I'm really excited to be here thank you yeah Danielle Coe is one of these people I just this I Mm -hmm. I just described in the intro uh about you I mean you guys are 
cut from the same cloth. You, you don't wait. You see the opportunity and you do it. If you wait, if we complain about how things are, I mean, nothing's going to get done. What are you doing? You're just making yourself more upset. But if you actually do something, we all have the power to do it. This is why you need the right. passion. This is why you need the passion because it's not going to work out well in the beginning. It's going to be right. uh, working harder than you ever did while making zero money. Uh, so this right. is why you can't fake the passion. But Bridget, how did you get started in research? Um, well, so basically, um, I went to Baylor University, uh, Waco, Texas. I'm originally from Dallas area. And so, um, you know, I am Nigerian by culture. Um, so it's very pushed heavily by your parents to be like either in the legal field, pharmacist, doctor, nurse. Um, I knew that I had an affinity for science and that science was something that I really um, cared about. I wanted to make people's lives better, um, but I didn't necessarily see myself as a doctor or as a nurse. And so um, luckily, um, when I graduated college, I moved to Houston, which is like a really, um, not only in the US, but worldwide known as sort of like a, a, a haven for, um, you know, top medical minds. And um, I was fortunate enough, blessed to um, get a job working for um, an investigator who worked on um, genital urinary oncology. So right out of college, I'm seeing like, you know, bladder cancer patients, testicular, prostate, kidney, um, and working on clinical trials. Like I had no idea, you know, that that was a thing that I could do, but, you know, I was there doing it and, it, and you know, really having that one-on-one -on -one, cause I was a coordinator with the patients. I mean, it made such an wow. impact on me, um, really being able to see new technologies and new drugs that were being um, introduced in people for the first time and getting to explain that to patients was just so amazing to me. Um, and so I did that for about um, two and a half years. Um, and then from there, um, I kind of moved over into the um, IRB side and learned like a whole different part of research. I mean, as a coordinator, you know that your studies had to go, you know, be reviewed by the IRB, amendments would come out, things like that. But being on that flip side, but actually, so let me back up. So as a coordinator, I think a lot of your view of the IRB is like they're this horrible, scary group. They just, you know, always picking on us and all that sort of thing. So when I flipped to the other side and I worked for the IRB, you know, I really, because um, I had a BS in education, um, health science and education. And so my big thing was just educating people. You know, these are the regulations. This is what they mean. You know, we're here to put the guardrails around and protect you and, and really trying to work one-on-one -on -one with investigators and with study staff who were in my old position and really kind of teach them, you know, how to do good research. Um, I was lucky that I had a couple of mentors that were really good CRAs. Um, Cindy Winsky, Beth Finnegan, that I worked with as a coordinator that really kind of took me under their wing. And That's really a common taught. theme. That's a yeah, common theme of people I interview. CRAs are underrated I was, that. Yeah, I was just kind of like out there, you know, just kind of like, you know, doing my thing. But they really were like, they saw something in me and really kind of poured into me and, and, and really taught me how to do a good job. And so, I try to pay that forward um, when I work for the IRB and really try to educate, you know, be there as a resource for people. Um, so I did that for a number of years. Um, and then from there, I moved over and I was a um, quality assurance, quality control auditor. Um, and I did that for about six years. And again, that's another role that like, if you hear somebody's coming to audit you, you're automatically like, oh my goodness, here they come. They're just nitpicking. But, you know, I really 
took a different path with it. And I really try to sort of like just educate people and, you know, like this is why it's important to have your source correct, you know, so that, you know, we have these people that are coming in here, they're depending on us, you know, to help give them one last shot you know, their doctors are told them there's nothing they can do, you know, so while they're here giving of themselves, the least we can do is, you know, have some good data so that we can, you know, try to make some sort of a, you know, conclusion as to whether or not what we're doing to them is actually helping. And so, you know, it's just really fulfilling. I feel like I have sort of like um, just that, that goal to really sort of educate people and shine a light on the research industry as a whole. Um, and so from there, after being an auditor, um, I moved um, kind of over to um, working for MD Anderson Cancer Center here in Houston, and um, I work directly um, with investigational new drug applications, so working with FDA um, in order to submit a lot of investigator-initiated research that was taking place at the institution. Um, and it was just really interesting to sort of, for the first time, because I'd always worked on studies that were like sponsored. Um, you know, we had a pharma company or we had, you know, some other company that was coming in. But to really be able to see like, wow, these investigators actually have like their own ideas and then they want to like try them out. Like, I, I think that was the first time that I was exposed to, you know, really sort of seeing that everyday people that I was interacting with could actually put their own stamp on science and put their own impact on it. And so that was really awesome. And being able to talk with FDA, you know, directly and find out like, hey, newsflash, they're just people just like us, you know, and they're just really trying to do the best job they can and, and really getting comfortable um, in, you know, like my expertise and what I bring to the table and really being able to kind of, again, help investigators and help their staff conduct research in a way that is going to lead to like, you know, useful knowledge. Um, and so, from there, you know, I also worked in the gene therapy space for a little while and then, you know, along the way, you know, working with, you know, regulatory, working with coordinators, you know, I just feel like my career has been cool because I've been able to wear a lot of different hats and see research from a lot of different aspects. And that's, you know, really kind of got me to the point where I am today, where I really am just such a big advocate of anybody who wants to join the research career, research as a career, you know, I, I just want to be a resource to that. But, um, so that's sort of, <laughs> that was like a long wow. answer, but that, you know, kind of my, uh, my career. You're a perfect example of a generalist, which is what I talk about all the time on this channel. And it seems like, I mean, whether the situation kind of evolved to show you the opportunity, but you still, you still had to go like, get it, you know, it doesn't just appear like it's very rare that you will get a promotion or a career change without asking for it without pursuing it uh, so it takes right. like a special kind of person to want to do that but how did you what did that your very first job in clinical research you said the PI saw something in you and, and decided to introduce you to clinical research made you a coordinator what do you think they saw in you um, well, I mean, I had a health science background. So of course, you know, I knew how the body worked, anatomy, physiology, you know, biochem, organic, all that stuff. So that's a base knowledge that I think anybody trying to enter clinical research, literally, like, you need a science degree. I mean, you just do. Uh, I mean, it depends. There's aspects of clinical research, of course, you know, like the legal side, regulatory, you may not necessarily, but, you know, if you're coming in as a coordinator, you know, you got to have a good grasp of how the body works. And so... But the interesting thing is when I was a coordinator, my investigator was a person who, 
you know, he would do things like, okay, I need you to review this protocol and, um, you know, see if everything looks fine. And, that, you know, I had other coworkers who were like, that's not part of your job as a coordinator. You're checking the study. Like, why? And I would just do it because I was like, okay, this is interesting. And so when I got to the IRB after that, literally, like, my whole job was reviewing protocols. And I was like, wow, I'm so glad that, you know, I had that experience. You know, it's like he would just ask me to, you know, do different things that weren't necessarily in my lane um, and I would do them and I would be able to learn. And I had monitors that were really big on teaching me different things. And I was always curious and I would ask. So I think that's also a big thing. Be willing to like go outside of your, you know, just your strict job description and take every opportunity that comes along that you can learn from somebody or that you can learn wow. a new process because that's just going to make you, you know, more valuable. I'm so glad, Bridget, I had you on. I'm so glad Judy found you from Latinos and Clinical Research. Shout, shout mm -hmm. out to Judy. I would have eventually seen you because I started hearing about you, uh, Clinical Trials Lady. So I was like, who's this? I remember I followed you last week. Mm -hmm. But uh, you're ex exactly what I'm telling people. Like, responsibility, uh, opportunity lies where responsibility has been abdicated. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what happened with you. You're like, hey, that's not part of your job description. Why are you doing that? You could have easily said, no, I'm not doing that. Forget this. I'm not getting paid for that. What what made you like not go that route? Was it your parenting? Was it just something inside of you? Because not everybody's going to say that. Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of both just really wanting to learn. I mean, I, I feel that... Anytime I see somebody that is doing really cool things or really doing interesting things, I gravitate toward those. Like, I never want to be the smartest person in the room that I'm in. I always want to be, you know, around the company of people who are kind of like pushing that edge because I'm a little more, you know, conservative and like I'll kind of hang back. Like, I'm not necessarily the person who's trying to like lead the charge. Um, I'm usually the person who's a little more cautious and who's trying to sort of like, you know, get in and, and do what I can, but not necessarily have the spotlight. And so when I see a good leader, somebody with those who has vision, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I may not be a visionary, but I do have a role and I, and I can, I can execute this vision that you have, you know what I mean? And so, um, that PI that I had definitely was a person, um, that, um, I could tell had a lot of vision and, um, you know, was really doing really great things. And so it was somebody that, you know, I felt like I could learn a lot from. I think that's an important point you brought up. I know you got to go soon, so I'm going to try to wrap this up. But visionary, nobody starts out as a visionary. You know, you start out as a specialist. You've got your blinders on. I mean, literally what you're doing when you're starting out. I remember my first year in research. It was just like this, the source, the CRF, that's my whole world. I didn't know anything outside of my site or that, but later the blenders came off and you start looking around. That's when you, I think you, you become a visionary and there's, it, it's a combination of ambition, skill set, education, like a little bit of everything, character. And you are a visionary because we just interviewed you. We're going to have a link to the Latino and clinical research interview for health, uh, Healthcare Haven? What Haven is yeah. What is it called? Health is Haven Science Club. Yeah. So I actually did end up starting a company, which is the craziest thing. I never in a million years would have thought that I would have been doing that. But, you know, I think it stems back from just being an educator. Like I always want to educate people. Um, and one of the big things that I do with Clinical Trials Lady, which is slightly different than Hypothesis Haven, is I really want to educate the community. I mean, 
literally back, um, I think in 2008 is when I got my master's degree and I got a master's degree in health education. And one of my reasons was that, okay, I'm working in clinical research. This is awesome. All these great discoveries. They're not reaching the people that need to be reached, you know? And so I got really into sort of like, you know, health disparities and all of that. And I worked for a study. I did my internship for my master's for a study called EDICT, um, which was eliminating disparities in clinical trials. And Armin Weinberg was the PI of that study. And for the first time, I really saw um, up close and personal how, uh, you know, just things like your race can impact your health. You know, I mean, the most important number that determines your health status, it's not your age, it's not your cholesterol level, it's your zip code. And so, you know, really kind of looking at why that was, I was kind of like, well, why aren't people in research talking about this more? I mean, this is more like a public health issue, but this directly impacts clinical research. I mean, we need to have more diverse patients. I mean, if we're looking at a drug that is supposed to treat heart disease and that, you know, is an impact in a certain population, then why are we only testing it, you know, in like white men or white women because they're the ones who can, you know, are savvy and can find out about a clinical trial, you know, then when it comes out, you know, it may not act the same. I mean, really drugs may not even act the same in men as they do in women. And so all these sorts of things started coming out. And so, um, you know, that was back in 2008 and, you know, that study was being done, but, you know, I feel like it kind of got sat on and sat on and sat on. Uh, only a few de very dedicated people were really looking into that issue and then boom, COVID hits and it kind of blew everything wide open. And it really became a moment where I was like, you know what, let me add my voice to this because I, I think I'd started clinical trials lady like early 2020, but it wasn't until COVID hit where it was really like an opportunity where people were actually listening and listening to, you know, how disparities in health and access to health can really impact people. And clinical trials are a perfect way to sort of, you know, bring people into the fold and, and get them more access to healthcare but then, of course, that comes with the whole, you know, Tuskegee thing and, you know, the things that have happened to people, you know, of color that, you know, have been per perpetuate, excuse me, perpetuated by the healthcare industry. So, you know, of course, there's a lot of issues that you have to work through there. And so that's sort of something that, you know, I'm really passionate about really kind of breaking down those barriers um, and really trying to increase um, um, diverse population diverse participation in clinical research so that more people can get the benefits and also just so that we can actually really find new ways to kind of help people who are suffering from different health problems. Yeah, you're definitely doing that. I mean, it's one thing to do a study like EDICT and say, okay, this is the problems, you know, and, and like you said, the biggest uh, factor in, in someone's health is their zip code, which is true, but that's a complicated problem to solve. So people kind of stop at the results of like a study like that. And they say, okay, well, this is just how it is. But it takes people like you, people like us, different organizations to kind of put things together and say, hey, you know, like for example, me, my hypothesis is let's get more clinicians in those communities interested in being PIs. So I've, right. I've dedicated the last 10 years of my career to help research naive physicians start sites in different, in, in underserved communities. You're doing it with a hypothesis. I mean, you're starting at the like child you know, uh, junior high, elementary, high school level, and then working your way up, we need to bring more minorities to work in this industry because they have minority family members and friends who they can exactly. now educate about research. So it's a difference between explaining a problem or identifying a problem and then actually doing something about it. And I think big pharma stops at identifying the problem, like, and they're very good at pointing it out. 
they're not very good at doing something about it. And I don't think they ever will be. They need people like me and you and others out there like Danielle to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's something. I mean, I think I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago. They were talking about how even like lab rats, like traditionally they've only studied male lab rats, I guess, because they're, you know, just, they're there, they don't get pregnant, they're not out of commission, but there's literally differences in your data when you use male and female lab rats. And if you're trying to use male and female, you're trying to give your drug to male and female humans, you know, there's implications there. So I, I think there's just so many different levels that you can get into when you're talking about, you know, just representation and things like that. And it takes more and more people like us to sort of like shine the light on that. And like you said, the biggest thing that we can do um, to improve and, and increase the amount of people who are willing to be part of research is to have them see people who look like them, you know, yeah. when they come to the doctor's office, people who, you know, they can be comfortable with. I mean, if your kid has cancer and you show up at the hospital and, you know, your nurse looks like you or your research coordinator looks like you, you know, that, you know, level of comfort that you have might be a little bit different. And so, you know, I, I just really feel like that is the starting point. You know, people talk about Tuskegee. I mean, I honestly have this theory that most people don't even know what Tuskegee really was about half the time. They don't have to look in the past to see some, a reason to not trust the healthcare industry. They can look just today and, and see that, you know, it's just a matter of having more and more um, practitioners, more research coordinators of color, more research nurses of color, you know, just more doctors of color um, in every aspect. And that is the thing that I think will eventually, you know, give that comfort level to our communities that, you know, they can actually trust and they can be a part of, um, they can be a part of, uh, uh, of taking part in clinical trials. Absolutely. I mean, it just makes sense. So I think you're doing a great job, Danielle Co. This is what we're trying to do with Latinos in clinical research. This is what it's going to take. It's not about looking woke or being woke. I mean, mm -hmm. the industry is doing a great job at looking like they're trying to be woke. But let me tell you, I have conversations, and you probably do too, with these people from these pharma companies. They don't know what to do. They just like to talk about the problem. And when you give them solutions, yeah. they're like, well, we got to run this by our, our team and then nothing happens. So it's going to take small entrepreneur, business-minded people like, like you, Bridget. So thank you very much for doing what you're doing. Thank you for being vocal and, and using your you. Instagram platform. And uh, we're definitely going to have you on again. I know we just did a LICR interview. You're welcome to come on our monthly Zooms whenever you want and network with the people yeah. there. I think uh, I think you're doing really good with Hypothesis Haven. We'll have links underneath to Hypothesis Haven as well as Bridget's Instagram. So thank you very much thank for you. your time, Bridget. I know you got to go. Any Thanks last so words? Any last motivation? Pump up somebody watching. Maybe, <laughs> maybe she's in Iowa. Iowa right now and is on the fence about clinical research career pump her up uh, you know I think the main thing is you know it's gotten a little bit more competitive lately here but I mean if you have a science bachelor's like I say this to so many of the people that I mentor you are enough you've got what we need all you have is a good attitude and that science bachelor's and we can teach you everything else this is still very much a field where you don't need an advanced degree to get in you don't need you know i mean you may need the right connections and that's the part that with black women in clinical research latinos in clinical research like we are now forming those networks you know that can help get you in the door you know all we need is for you to just have you know that basic science education and then just the ambition and the willingness and don't give up no matter how many interviews you you know how many jobs you've applied for you know we are forming those networks that, you know, have existed for other people for a really long time. And if you just have that 
base of knowledge, you know, we can get you where you want to be. So definitely reach out to people like Dan, reach out to people like myself. Um, they'll share my um, Instagram information and, you know, we're really just ready to put on, you know, as many people that want to make an impact in this field like we do. I like that, Bridget. Thank you. Show up and take responsibility, guys. All right. So thank you so much, Bridget. I appreciate thank it. You, you got to run. Uh, we'll catch you all later. Bye-bye. Bye.